invest in professional development for your entire organization, boost its potential, and see it grow. Choose Docebo, the world's most powerful platform for corporate learning. Learn more at docebo.com. This September, Chinese President Xi Jinping refused to show for the 18th G20 summit, held on the 9th and 10th of the month in New Delhi. The reason given by Beijing was that the host country had surrendered to the West. According to these claims, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's sole prerogative in agreement with the United States was to defend the interests of India and its American ally while sabotaging those of China. Heavy accusations indeed, which cast a dark cloud upon the World Leaders' Summit. Perhaps this is the signal that China's trust in global economics and politics is breaking down. We're certainly leagues away from Xi Jinping's speech in Davos way back in 2017. Indeed, six years ago at that famous global economic forum, the People's Republic was going in a different direction and Xi Jinping had placed himself as the herald of a bright new future. In his words, economic globalization is the trend of the times. Though countercurrents are sure to exist in a river, none could stop it from flowing to the sea. She seemed to say that the globe was about to leave its conflicts behind and blossom like never before. China promised to be the guiding light for this new phase of worldwide cooperation and development. But times, we know, change quickly. We saw some of these rapid changes in the last few years of pandemic and war, and a new crisis loomed its head just this summer, the Chinese property crisis. This alarming financial collapse could soon drag down the entire global economy with it. However, the world balance had started to falter way before this latest emergency. In the beginning, there was China-America, a sort of magical setup that guaranteed global supremacy to both great powers. In the USA, the middle class was disappearing, chipped away by the brutal arbitrage of labor costs. China, on the other hand, had the opposite issue, an emerging middle class, and this was the bedrock on which a pact was founded. The USA would consume and produce debt and delocalize production to China. China, on the other hand, would buy American debt and grow, urbanizing hundreds of millions of farmers and creating a new middle class. But with the rise of right-wing populism and the presidential victory of Donald Trump, things changed drastically. The USA turned towards protectionism and stopped offshoring. With this, the dream that was China-America faded away, and China too started to produce debt that it could no longer get rid of. Meanwhile, its real estate bubble was growing dangerously, ready to explode. I am Guido Brera, and you're listening to Black Box, the Hidden Side of Finance, a podcast by Cora Media, sponsored by Docebo. As told by Simone Pieranni in the 45th episode of his podcast, Altri Orienti, August has been a heated month for China. 
not just for the climate, but also for the real estate crisis. The signs were there for a while, but now the economic and financial emergency has started in earnest. By taking on debt to support the development of infrastructure and real estate, the Chinese administrators allowed a bubble to grow, and now it's popped. This debt hardly seemed an issue at first. The Chinese economy was growing rapidly, pulled along by its real estate sector, which took up around one-fourth of the country's GDP. The sale of buildable land gave the provinces means by which to dampen public spending and face financial burdens. During the Chinese boom, real estate companies would buy this land wholesale, and they prospered by selling unfinished apartments to finance construction. Nevertheless, when the pandemic hit, the self-debiting process suddenly jammed, and the request for lodging tumbled. Towards the end of 2021, the Evergrande Group, up to now the leading firm in the real estate sector, went bankrupt, and it took 340 billion dollars to bail out. However, Evergrande was just the start. Because two-thirds of private Chinese real estate companies crashed, starting from 2022, Evergrande is just the tip of an iceberg, and the Chinese economy is sailing right towards it. The numbers are alarming, as is the demographic decline and youth unemployment. This situation is unheard of in modern China, a country that used to be a beacon of global growth, has now flipped and turned into the world's sick man. Suddenly, economists are starting to worry about Beijing's future well-being. Suddenly, that same Chinese model that used to be a paragon of development is starting to show its cracks. And if this is the case, those cracks might easily affect a delicate global balance. This crisis might well involve us as well. To put things in the right perspective, we must first widen our horizon and then converge again. Focus our attention on a few details and interpret them. With 70% in state investments, in contrast to the United States' 30%, China's GDP rose to the same levels as the USA's. State investment in infrastructure modernized the People's Republic much more than many Western countries and pushed it ahead in its green economy. The Chinese middle class has continued to grow lately as well. The problem is that while many were getting rich, a large part of the population was getting poorer as well. For this reason, the Gini coefficient, which is a formula that measures income inequality, is worse for China and the USA than it is for many European countries. China and the United States are opposite in terms of economic and governance models, but also similar in being the two greatest powers in the world. They also share the paradox of stoking enormous inequality in comparison with their advanced industrial and technological development. Undoubtedly, the Chinese political and economic order has always seemed a unique hybrid, and it has proved how capitalism and authoritarianism, in the shape of state capitalism, can work quite well together. Yet, with globalization and crisis as a whole, something has gone wrong. On this subject and the current Chinese crisis, opinions differ. Keynesian economists have few doubts 
They see the cause in China's fatal imbalance between enormous investments and an insufficient internal demand. Salaries are too low, and the economy is bogged down by excessive public financing, which is minimally productive. So, the result of the real estate sector's crash is an unprecedented crisis to demand. In the eyes of the Keynesians, this crisis is strikingly similar to the one that hit Japan in the 90s, a great deflation that carried on for over 30 years in the land of the rising sun. In any case, caution is advised when making any predictions in this crisis, as there are at least four strong columns keeping the dragon on its feet. These columns are the rise of the service economy, a slowing growth but still above the 3% threshold, a strong advantage in the green economy. China is well ahead in ecological transitioning, and it's a world leader in electric car exports, ahead of Germany and Japan. And finally, its enormous reserves of rare metals, the oil of the future, prime materials for batteries and semiconductors, these pillars won't just avert China's downfall, but always according to the Keynesian, they will also affirm the interdependency between Beijing and Washington. Indeed, they validate the Biden administration's change of pace in offering public support to the American economy. This can be seen in the Inflation Reduction Act, the Build Back Better and the CHIPS Act. All of these serve to stimulate investment in infrastructure, renewable energy, and especially to stay competitive as regards the production of microprocessors. While the Keynesians see the new American industrial politics as the correct and even necessary response to Beijing's strategies, the economic liberalists see things quite differently. Indeed, they see in the crisis of China an opportunity to reaffirm the supremacy of the liberal economic model. This is the position of economist Adam Posen in an article for Foreign Affairs. The article is titled The End of China's Economic Miracle, How Beijing's Struggles Could Be an Opportunity for Washington. Posen claims that the Chinese model is at an impasse. Beijing's authoritarian measures have undermined China's natural development and so discontent among its people. According to Posen, this malcontent is a great opportunity for Washington to attract the best minds from the People's Republic. This would surely be the ultimate victory for the liberal model. But perhaps that is also the problem. The West isn't capable of moving away from its outdated models and reinterpreting its cognitive tools for our modern times. Over 20 years ago, Italian economist and sociologist Giovanni Arrighi attempted just this. In his 2008 book, Adam Smith in Beijing, he claimed that China would have created an alternative to traditional capitalism and paved the way towards greater equality between countries. This equality hasn't been reached yet, and now China's many contradictions are causing a massive internal crisis. Today, however, we've entered the century of multipolarity and the dominance of the American dollar is far from certain anymore. This is a time in which solving crises and facing emergencies demands that we break loose from old ideas and embrace new perspectives. And in revivifying our points of view, we'll need to look carefully towards the East, even with all its own paradoxes. Black Box is a quarter news podcast 
produced by Cora Media and sponsored by Docebo. Written by Guido Brera with I Diaboli. Editorial supervision by Francesca Milano. Intro and sound design by Luca Micheli. Editing and post-production by Luca Micheli and Mattia Liciotti. Sound editing by Emanuele Moscatelli. Production organization by Alex Federengo. <laughs>